Welcome to Inspiration and Adaptation. I'm a lifelong visitor to this shore called Tuget by the Denaina, by the bay named Kachimak by the Supiak. My name is Asia Freeman and I'm the Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center. I want to thank you to the Indigenous people for your past and present stewardship of the waters, the plants, and animals of its place, Koyana, Chiknik, Chenan. I'm grateful to walk on your land. Bunnell Street Art Center's ongoing focus on land acknowledgement aims to cultivate knowledge and respect for Alaska's living cultures. Bunnell's land acknowledgement work in 2020 is sponsored by a community grant from National Performance Network and a social justice grant from Alaska's Community Foundation. That's how. Hello. Uh, Asia, uh, can you give me Okay. If you have difficulty, Sally, if you have difficulty, just call back on the phone and we can do with you with audio, okay? Oh, okay. That sounds good. Thank you. Because I think I could do Zoom with this one phone. Sure. And if you, I'm happy, to, yeah, try either one and we'll be here. I can stand by an audio if you like. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Sally Ash. She is from Nanwalik Village. She is a Sukhstun language consultant. Sukhstun is the language of the Sukhiak people. Sally has also been a Sukhstun language teacher at Nanwalik School for many years, and she's going to be calling in as well. I'd also like to welcome our guest, Arjun Kavaznikov, who is an artist who studied linguistic anthropology. He's a member of Ninilchik Village Tribe and Benel's board president. Welcome, Arjun. Thank you. And also we have with us today, Brett Wood Higman. Hig is a geologist with GIS and data visualization experience who has created a map of the area around Kachimak with Sukstun and Dinaida names, as well as both official and unofficial modern names, with help from anthropologist Janet Klein and language expert James Carey. Welcome, Hig. Thanks. So um, let's actually begin by um, jumping into this um, incredible project that you um, have been working on for some time. And tell us, um, orient us to what drew you into this work and where it stands now. Mm, let's see. So um, I, uh, I became interested in, in, in making a map, partly partly because I've grown up loving maps, wandering around, using maps in the wilderness, and, uh, and uh, kind of a convergence of different satisfied with the maps that were really readily available. There's like the, the Trails Illustrated map that National Geographic put out that has some Pretty horrible problems with it. It's really poorly built, and and that's kind of the standard map everyone's using these days. And there are a couple older ones that really are in some ways better. Um, but also there's been a, there's been a lot of work in recent years to collect kinds of data that um, that describe the landscape pretty well. Um, and none of that was being used by you know like this Trails Illustrated map or any of the other maps. So I you know I kind of started out thinking well. You know, this is an opportunity to do it, do it better, and that maybe there's a bunch of things that would come along with that. And in particular, um, I think that I mean, maps are kind of a weird, a weird thing to create in general. They have sort of a, a sense of authority that's really uh, different than other sorts of media. And it, it seems like if there's some sense of community ownership of a map, that that could be really beneficial. And so I thought that might be something I could try to foster, you know, in building a map, I could, you know, try to be really uh, open to all the knowledge and stuff that people have um, and, um, and, and be able to incorporate that into the map um, and really responsive. Cause that, that was one of the, you know, again, going to this, the, my, my whipping boy here, the Trails Illustrated map, they, you know, people have long, you know, known all these problems with it, but there's no mechanism to fix those. Um, and uh, and I also saw it um, as an opportunity for um, 
people who are active, you know, doing science or other work in the area to kind of share the results. And I think that's, that's uh, exactly how I see what, what we're talking about today is that, um, that you guys are really trying to understand the, um, the traditional names, the uh, uh, historic names of, of, of these places here. I, I don't know much about that myself. Um, I've, I've gotten some help as, as you, you mentioned, Asia from, from um, Janet and from James and, and others to kind of bring, bring some names in uh, to my map, but it's not like I have any, any like deeper expertise there. Um, I'm just an outlet for that information. And by combining, um, by taking, taking that kind of work, and I, I think that the traditional name is a perfect example, <clears throat> and putting it into a map that is at its heart, it's really designed to be useful. You know, this is a map that, you know, people, I, I, I want to make it something that people want to have so that they can go and do things where they need a map, you know, so, um, so very practical in that way. Um, and that making it part of that means that, you know, rather than just reaching people who have specifically sought out the information you're providing, that, that this is somewhere that, you know, people can encounter that information, encounter things that they can't just readily see looking, looking at, around them, um, like history. Um, uh, and, uh, um, so that's kind of part of how I, how I see this. Mm -hmm. And tell us just a little bit more about yourself. I know that you grew up in Soldovia, is that right? You and your mm -hmm. sister? Yeah, yeah. So my, my parents moved up here when I was eight or 10 months old, something like that. And, um, in uh, 1977. And, um, and so I grew up here and then I went off to college and I went to grad school, college in Minnesota, grad school in, um, at U University of Washington, Seattle and studied, um, uh, geology and in particular uh, natural hazards. I worked a lot on tsunamis um, and uh, and still still do some work like that. I run um, I help run a, a, a very small uh, nonprofit. We're calling it Ground Truth Alaska now, and we're it's we have been called Ground Truth Trekking, and we're in this transition and haven't really even figured out exactly legally how to make that transition. But anyway, we're um, uh, we we've been around for for over 10 years, like 13 years now, I guess. Um, and uh, um, that is kind of a wrapper for a lot of different things, including this, this map project. Um, and um, yeah, I, I kind of, the lifestyle that my family and I, that we've been able to kind of put together um, means that uh, um, we're able to choose to do a lot that um, doesn't necessarily, we don't necessarily get paid for. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and so that's a really big part of our life is like trying to figure out where, you know, how is it that we would be valuable regardless of whether we might be paid. It's nice to be paid sometimes. We do need some income, but, um, but uh, that what can we do where we're, you know, where, where we have some value um, and our particular interests and skills can, can be applied. So it's kind of a funny life model that's been working for us. And one of those projects is a map of, of Ketchumac Bay, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that map, um, you know, it's started out a little smaller area and I'm slowly kind of adding bits on, um, uh, have so far stuck with a rectangle, which means that if you want just that one spot that's just off the map, you have to add this big long stripe and, and, uh, I'll, I'll show you, I could go to a screen share now if you want and, and kind of give you some, some perspective there. That would be cool. um, So let's see here. So I'll first, I'll just show you a little bit of the map and then I'll, I'll come back to this because I want to show you a little bit what's under, underneath it. Um, uh, but, I, you know, not linger too long on that. But let's see, let's zoom out here. So the full coverage, it, it kind of catches most of Cashmack Bay. It's, it's still, it's missing the very, very head here. It gets down to Gore Point. It doesn't quite get to Nawalak and Port Graham yet. Um, and, you know, anytime when you're kind of picking an area, you really, you want to keep adding those pieces. So I, and I really, I want to get to the end of the peninsula. I'd like to get ahead of the bay. Um, that would get us out to Anchor Point too, the combination of those two. So anyway, I'd like to get over to Bradley Lake all the way. It's just barely catching the corner here. Um, but this is what I've done so far. And um, it's a, it's kind of styled in some ways similarly to the USGS maps um, uh, that um, maybe we all grew up on. Um, it, uh, I'm trying to combine having, um, 
you know, bathymetric information, topographic information, information about trails and such. Um, and then there are the, the different names. Um, um, and so you've got the, you know, the, the modern names and I have two different fonts. This one here is for the Sukhstun and Elutic. I, so I, in my key, I said Elutic and I, and I think Sukhstun is more correct. Is that? Yeah. Should I, should I change that? Being the language of the Sukhbiak people. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so these are are Sukhstan. and then this this is this is the Nina, Daina. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so I, you know, I, I've, um, you know, Janet Klein was my first source for those, and then, um, and I'll give you a little tour of what I've got there. But I first wanted to just, yeah, show you a little bit what underlies this. Um, and so this is the GIS that I use. It's QGIS. It's a free program, um, but a very powerful one. And I use it to layer in different um, pieces of information. Um, and all of these pieces of information are in a geographic context. So they have a location on the map. Um, and uh, for instance, it is actually possible to put um, names and such into this, but I actually uh, do the names at a, at, a, at a different level because of some of the, uh, the complexities of actually fitting the main name on the map. But this is where a lot of, you know, like you can see a river with braid bars. So I hand traced the river in this part. The reason it just cuts off is it gets thinner here. And so I just use a, a single line there. And we're only seeing some of the layers here. Um, I've got, um, this is the, the toe of Gruent Glacier. And to get some sense of where that comes from, let's go ahead and turn it off for a moment here. And we'll turn off much of the contours. And then we can go back and there was a photo that was taken by a satellite in, on September 30th of uh, 2018. Um, and this happened to be a beautiful clear day. Actually, there was fog on the water, but it was really clear. Um, and uh, it was really late in the year. And so you can see the edge of the ice really well. And so I've used this photo as my source for tracing tracing the glaciers. Um, and that's a matter of zooming in and just literally like hand tracing this. Um, so if you see, let's pull up that glaciers layer again. And this, I'm just picking this as an arbitrary example kind of. Um, and so you can see, I just traced where those are. Um, and using various different, you know, so there are many different sources of imagery, sources of data. And so for instance, I've traced like, um, I think eight or 10,000 different um, structures, uh, the buildings and stuff that people live in. And so I go through and, and use all those as input layers, and then I can manipulate those in graphics programs. And so actually I actually want to go to this file here. And so the most of that manipulation happens in um, Illustrator. And this is where I actually bring in names um, and other annotations. So this is like the edge of the glacier in 1850 here. Um, this is a land ownership. There's a little bit of private land in the middle of Kashmir Bay State Park over here. So I note that there's a name and this indicates that people land floatplanes there, et cetera, et cetera. And I can break these apart. You know, we can see what it looks like with just the names. Um, and so here's what the whole map looks like, only looking at, at, uh, at names. <laughs> and so, or it, it's not just names, actually, it's other labels too. So, um, it also includes, I think the houses are in here. So if we go into Homer, this is what Homer looks like. Um, and then I use, take those and I would combine those finally using Photoshop. And, uh, and so there are some little subtleties that uh, come in here. Like if you notice, if you look at the wording here, that this line, this contour line is broken around the words. So it doesn't disrupt reading the words. So that sort of detail is added in Photoshop. And um, so there's a whole kind of workflow. And part of the reason for setting that up is that um, I can control, I can add and change things at whatever le level is appropriate. So if I come in, if, if you, you know, um, if you tell me, oh, actually, you should spell this name differently, and we've got these other two names, and I want to add those to the map, then I can do that, and I can produce a new version without a tremendous amount of work. It's not, it's not a five-minute job, but like you know, and maybe an hour to make an, make an edit like that. Um, and then these maps, um, how, I guess one important thing is how do you actually encounter these maps in the wild, uh, in, the, in the real world? And 
um, the main thing is that I, I make these little 11 by 17 versions of the map that are actually low, they're, they're not the entire coverage. They're sort of key areas that people have a lot of interest in. Um, they're on waterproof paper that's double-sided. I can print those right in Homer, so uh, I can print them in whatever, you know, at whatever number are needed. And so I don't have to build up like a huge stockpile that I have to sell off before I can make a change. So that's one outlet. And then the other one, I, I just call them wall art maps. And so these are large maps that are each individual is um, is custom. So for instance, this one here I made for someone who's a water taxi operator. And so they wanted uh, lines indicating how the water taxis could, you know, bring you about, about uh, Catchmack Bay. And so that's what these thick blue lines indicate. And it just happens to be one of the most recent ones that I've produced. Um, so just to give a little bit of a tour here, um, this is Bear Cove, which is one of the few places on here that I haven't been myself. I managed to miss out on Bear Cove in the times I've been in this area. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'm hunting around different sources. I found uh, both the Denina and, and Sukston name for the, the cove itself. And I also talked to a local who, who gave me a long list of names, you know, things like Canoe Pass and Herring Bite, these place names that they use now. Um, one of the two places in Cashmack Bay referred to as Fox Farm. Um, <clears throat> and so this would be, you know, an example. And I, modern names are kind of an interesting question. I've been very liberal on how I approach them. So if, if someone comes to me and set, you know, and they're someone who's local, who knows the place, and they say, we call this place X, then I'm, I'm mostly willing to put that on the, on the, uh, the map. There's some conflict comes up when two different people have different names, because uh, and and then there are also cases where they're just too close together. I mean, this is you can see that eventually the words start filling up the space. They start covering up information on the map. So, you know, I have to make a call with something like herring bite here. Do I do I obscure this bit of shoreline by putting that name in there? Um, so there, so I can't necessarily in, include every single name that I come across, but. I try to be pretty inclusive, I, I, and um, and it's something I, I welcome uh, critical perspectives on. In general, I, I would welcome anyone who's like thinks I'm going the wrong direction here. These are um, it's kind of a complicated question because once you put a name on a map, then people will will uh, think that that's that's the name rather than just a name, and uh, um, you know, I could definitely see the argument, for instance, for only using names that have been had sort of cleared the USGS's hurdle. But it's pretty fun to have all these local names that people use. Um, and so, yeah, you'll you'll see some of these traditional names go by as I scroll along here. Um, the uh, one of the things that I would like to add in in addition to um, well, so yeah, one of so one of the uh, the the challenges is that sometimes traditional names it's a little ambiguous as to what they're associated with, and in order to make them clear to a general audience, I like to associate them with a modern name. So China Poop Bay, for instance, I won't I won't pretend to be able to pronounce these names correctly, but um, I you know I have a Sixton name uh, that's I, my understanding is that it's associated with the bay with this place rather than with the community. There's also a Denaina name that is associated with the community, which is now at a place that people refer to as Fox Farm. Um, or, I mean, the place where this community once was is, is the place that people now are referring to as Fox Farm there. And so you could argue, you know, that maybe this name should be associated with China Poop Bay instead. Um, it's kind of a, an open question, I guess, to, in, my, in my mind anyway. Um, let's see here. I, I think it's very interesting when you find these cases where there's a clear connection between the modern name and, and the, um, the, the native names. Um, so Anasim is, um, is apparently originally Sukstun, um, down in, in, uh, in Tutka, we have Tukka, and, uh, actually the, um, I just, I, I would like to add the Russian names, um, and there is a, 
you know, a, a Russianization, or I, I don't know how, to, how you would say that word, but anyway, there's a Russian version of, of Tetka as well that also references this, this Denina name. Um, uh, and so I, I think having the, having the Cyrillic on here to express that piece of, of, uh, of the history here um, would be, I think, a good thing. Um, you know, this name sounds, sounds native, but I haven't found any any record that just really lays that out. Um, and, um, but, you know, I, it may well be the case. The only Russian name that I have on here right now is um, in Soldovia. Um, and, uh, and sexually, I, I associated with the bay. Um, there's uh, the the Russian word bay is I think like bena um, something like that and uh, I didn't include that I've kind of talked to a few different people um, including a, a you know a friend of mine in Russia and and his opinion was that um, this would often be uh, you you would drop that in referring to a place like this but um, but I know some people do list that second word in there so. Plenty of questions that I don't feel like I have any expertise. I'm just kind of doing my best to kind of guess at what uh, what the most appropriate way uh, to record these names are. In Soldovia, I mean, somewhat the complexity here is because people live here now and, and it's been a really active place for a long time. So there is a lot going on, but it's also because I have my own intimate knowledge of this place. So, you know, that that means there's all these things that I think of as being, oh, well, it's really important that you label Camel Rock, for instance, but how do you fit that in between the navigational hazards, the lights, the other other rocks, you know, like all these different names. And so it has gotten quite cluttered, which is probably somewhat an expression of my own bias, you know, coming from here. I know, and I know too much about this area and to, you know, be, uh, for, to, to be easy for me to just, just kind of trim things down. Just going to run across over to Homer here. Um, Homer, you know, I, I've I, I made Homer is kind of a late addition to the map. Um, I made the south side of the bay, and I actually initially what I did is I covered Homer up with the key because it was really complicated, and I, I wanted to have something that was kind of finished. So I didn't I didn't you know tackle Homer for quite a while, but eventually I decided okay I, I've, I've got to do this partly. Uh, um, because the interest that the Homer cha uh, Chamber of Commerce wanted a really large version of the map. And so, um, so I, uh, I did my best and I used some of the same approaches I'd used. And I found that in this context, it's got a lot of um, human complexity that some of, the, uh, some of the approaches that I took to displaying information on the more sparsely populated southern coast uh, didn't work as well. Um, I really like having all the structures shown. Um, that really tells it to me, I think it communicates a lot about the human landscape in a pretty unbiased manner. You know, it just tells you, yeah, people are here. And uh, um, so it, it tells you something there. And I like having, you know, the names, but for instance, uh, um, Pioneer Avenue is, you know, would be a really useful thing to label here, but there you have to make a choice between like covering up the the houses or putting the name there, and for the um, for the chamber because they clearly they, you know they live they're right uh, what, right down here, um, they are directing people around so they want to be able to point to that name and say you know go this way so it's really valuable to them and so I I used a approach where I kind of cleared things out underneath the name so you could read it, but uh, you know that's. I ended up leaving it off this one um, for kind of a cleaner effect. And um, it's, you know, a, a, a challenge in there. Also, the there's all this very complicated land ownership. And I do like having some information about land ownership on the map, which worked pretty well on the South Coast. Um, but up around Homer, it's been a challenge how to, how to, you know, include these in a way that you can actually reasonably read. So, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely still things I'm, I'm, trying to figure out and looking at this as kind of a living document that um, that uh, people can make contributions to that I, as I learn new approaches I can make improvements I, I think that's been um, yeah that's a big driver for how I approach this um, 
And I think maybe that's is the, the, the it, I'll, I'll stop there and see if, see what questions there are. Well, it, and this is certainly open to everybody who's who's in this dialogue. Um, I'm so you mentioned what some of your sources have been for gathering names. Um, the anthropologist Janet Klein, who's well known for her study of the Kachemak Bay region, and then the um, Indigenous language expert James Carey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so Janet pointed me to some some um, a few different documents, uh, which I don't have right in front of me here. Um, but uh, one one of them I think was um, sourced from uh, interviews um, in in Namwalak Port Graham area. Um, um, I could, I could try to, yeah, anyway, I could probably try to come up with a list of those documents that she pointed me to. Um, James Carey has, uh, you know, he has a, a, a statewide project, um, and trying to, uh, um, put these names together and, and he has a, like a, uh, an interactive map that I don't think is publicly available. Um, um, but, um, I don't know if you've, you've been able to look at that, um, but it has a lot of names for this area. And so some, some different definitely came from that. One of, one of the discussions that came up with, um, with James is that I, that I'm, I'm still not, not totally clear on. Um, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes communicating remotely over email and stuff. So some things that it seem to, it's hard to, hard to really get on the same page on as, as far as something, but he, he gave some names for places that I, I couldn't figure out whether, they were actually documented historic names. So for instance, for um, down in, so this is Tutka Bay. Um, there's actually some names for the, the tributary streams coming into the head of, of Tutka River, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, uh, but then he also provided one for Tutka Pass, but I couldn't figure out whether that was actually just a, like, taking the tuka and then adding the word for pass, or if that was, there was actually records of that name being used. And that's kind of a, that's kind of an interesting question. I mean, presumably uh, this pass is an extraordinary route to go across the peninsula. I'm sure it was used, um, uh, you know, in prehistoric times or, you know, pre, pre, uh, before colonization, but, um, but I don't know whether we know what word was used for that pass at that time. So um, I'm grateful that um, Sally Ash has been able to join us by phone um, from Nanwellick. And um, I also want to acknowledge that Argent Krasnikov is waiting patiently by too as well. I, I just want to step back and kind of expand the frame a little bit of our dialogue to, to think about a couple different ideas that you proposed, which are quite interesting to me. Um, one is this idea of a living document. So it sounds like this map that you're creating is an ongoing process, which you're able to revise without too much trouble as you learn and correct and expand the names that you gather. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and it's definitely, yeah, that's kind of a top priority for me to, is to try to keep that, you know, alive like that. Yes, um, I was just speaking the other day with Heidi Sinungatuk, who's um, and you know in Inupiaq um, cultural expert and advisor to Benel, is talking about land acknowledgement work that we're doing, and she said, "Why don't you think about it as a living document?" And so it's part of the title, it's part of the way that you communicate with the public, so that people understand they can speak up and weigh in, and their voices can be heard in the evolution of this project. Um, and so I would, I just would like, um, to invite some ideas and responses from, um, Sally and from Argent to the idea of, of a map as a living document is, um, Sally, can you hear us all right? Yep, I can hear you all. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, and how about our listeners? Can you guys hear Sally? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so Sally, um, I'm interested in what, what your thoughts are about the idea of a, a map um, that includes um, indigenous names, 
Russian names and um, English names in our area, all kind of coexisting on one living and evolving document. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm not really sure. I know the names, but I, I feel uh, maybe like uh, John Johnson from Chugach, Alaska. He does uh, place names and stuff, but um, for our area, I think he would need to have somebody, you know, that knows the area mm-hmm. and the names. So I think it would be best if you asked him because he said some things about uh, names that are uh, sensitive that, uh, you know, you don't want to be naming off. But mm-hmm. I feel that, you know, like uh, Kachemak Bay or Homer or, you know, all those places up along that way we know them and I think it would be okay to share them but you know I don't want to say to say that we have to do you know we have to but um, I think he has uh, I just uh, actually this is what my uh, what I'm doing now I I have a um, a business now and I'm a consultant I'm consulting since I've retired from the school and but I am willing to work with you know people and but I would like to ask so I don't step on anybody's toes if, uh, if you know, I'm doing something wrong I don't want to do it but I would like to help I would be wanting to help to work wonderful as, as much as I can if I asked uh, John Johnson first, make sure, but I think it's, you know, like, so that people don't, I think what they worry about is to have ancient places, dwellings and places that people might uh, like to go and dig up because we don't have uh, people watching the places down, you know, we don't have too many people going up and down watching the areas that are were for, that were given to us by the government. That's an excellent point. You're speaking to the protection of sacred sites and, and sacred lands. Tell me what else might be, um, if you know, if you can, what else you might be thinking in terms of what names contain that is um, indigenous knowledge. So when we put a name on a map that is an indigenous name, we if we lift it up or reveal it, um, what can you think of examples of names that tell us something about a, a place that are really different, you know, in Sukstun than what the, you know, the English name might be? Mm-hmm. Well, say for example, Homer, Ilava, like to me to ilak something. Oh, I don't know, this is what I, I, I'm, what I understand is that uh, is to add on, and I think the extension of that peninsula or not the pronounce that spit, you know, mm-hmm. out extension. It's an extension kind of from the land. And ilaha look means a place with a kind of an extended. Spit there. So, yeah. Uh, things like that I know. And uh, uh, like there's some uh, places that people own. Uh, and like say, um, you know, people own spots there that would care. We know the place, but, uh, uh, or say there's a place, a beach called Davewik, uh, and it's a, a place for making uh, salt or Nanuaganak is a lagoon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, place for me, it's a good, I think they could, uh, 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 place where, uh, there's a place called, uh, in English it's called rocks, the, the, the meaning is rocks, Yam, Yamat, Yamat, that's all that, that to us, that would be the name and people would know it. Um, and it means rocks, but you know, things like that, it would, I think like say Homer, uh, Kajikmak, it's not Kajimak, it's Kajikmak, mm-hmm. Kajikmak, and I'll, and I'll share the spelling with you later, but things like that, I think it's good, you know, it would be nice to have those written down while they were in that, or you know, as much as we can, I'd like, you know, I think it would be nice to share, but I would like to ask, uh, if you don't mind, like for uh, 
John Johnson. And, you know, Homer is important for us. We still we still call it Ilahalakan Sukhstun. Ilahalakan Today I'm heading over to Homer. Everybody would know right away you're going to Homer. So, and we don't see it on the map, but that was our name for Homer. It's our name for Homer. What does Ilahalak mean in Sukhstun? Ilahalak means to added on okay okay so that's getting back to the spit and what does kachikmak mean the name for a bay means the bay uh like the big the kachimak kachimak bay is what they the one see when the russians or maybe the white uh non-natives come and they try to say kachikmak kachimak you know glad you're able to join us, Sally. Thank you. I want to turn it over to Argent and um, ask a little bit about um, what thoughts you might have, Argent, about um, the, and, and maybe we can just um, shift out of screen share just back into our um, conversation circle here. Thank you, Hig. Um, I'm thinking about um, the the map is a living document, first of all, Argent, and, and what thoughts you have about that, and also about the sharing of names, the, the idea that Sally um, mentioned a cultural idea, um, perhaps, if not just a moral one, of protecting sacred sites and not putting everything that you know on the map. Um, sure. I um, Thank you for having me. Again, this is really nice, and it's nice to meet you, Sally. Um, uh, I, I know that we probably have relatives in common, because everybody here, we're related to all the regional cultures um, on the peninsula, so we're a little bit of everything. And I, I have a lot of thoughts, and I'll try to be um, brief, because I have a lot. <laughs> Just off the top of my head and also notes I prepared. Um, the terms, a lot of the terminology being used um, that Hig was presenting and um, we're talking about living document. It's funny because it, to me, the term living document um, is almost redundant because names in a way are universal. Um, you go to almost any language or culture in the world and the most common system of naming things is based on utility. What people use directions to where there's good stuff here, bad stuff there, what things look like. And it's all based on utility. But beyond that, there's this second, second ring, if you will, of, things that are, are far off um, or things that are sacred places. They don't have to be far off. And those are the things that have names in which conventions kind of go out the door a little bit. So, but they're all relative. Names are always relative and they're always changing depending on which stories people remember the most. Um, and even when we talk about things that are named after people, like you see all in that map, all these little tiny islands, San Juan Island, this, um, there's the this, this Strait of Vancouver down the coast and um, the Cook Inlet. And I think beyond those names is the fact that the people that name them that, all those places are not part of their immediate existence. They're in the ring of 
the the mythology. So for people like back at home in England, um, let's say we're in England in the 1700s, they're going to be reading about the cook inlet and 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 envisioning it, fantasizing it, dreaming about it. And so that's why that name is appropriate for them. So when we say that names are uh, traditional, it's like, what does that mean? Uh, traditional incorporates both the mythological and the utilitarian. And one important thing to know about um, cultural names is uh, that we have to respect the local people wherever these names are. And I have to say, Hig, I, I don't know if I have anything else to add of, based on what um, I have seen, because that's kind of bar for bar what we have. And just speaking as somebody who is very interested in uh, Denaina language and culture, um, there is a lot of things that don't share names. Um, and one of the things that I have found is there is no real specific name for Kachemak Bay. It's, it's considered part of the ocean. And to, it kind of sounds like that doesn't make any sense. But if you were to imagine like being on the bluffs um, down that way between Homer and Anchor Point, and let's say you were elevated and you see this landscape, this horizon, that kind of makes sense. You have this water extending, you know, from your left, which would be the, where the bay is, and then it just continues continuously all the way up the inlet. So I don't know where the word Kachemak itself comes from. And when we say what's traditional, even though it's not necessarily of a known Denina origin, it's more or less a Denina name because that's been adopted. And there's a few examples of a lot of those adoptions happening. And in, uh, so for looking at Denina language, it would be under the purveyorship of the people of Seldovia to kind of have that knowledge and make that call of what these names would be because it's like it, languages are just, they're just tools, they're just machines. And so when you say what is documented, what does documented mean? Um, it doesn't mean who has access to a school, a writing system. Um, and when you really think about and parse that down and think about the historical implications and all the movement and the exchange and the lots and lots of conflict, um, the Bay was like a very hotly contested zone. And there are a lot of older um, Denina sites across the south side of the Bay that were either abandoned or moved for whatever conflict or, and both, both by European people and non-European, there used to be some bad blood between <laughs> the, um, well, we say, we say Aleut and Aleutiak um, uh, here um, because we're, people here are not that familiar with the word Sukstun. Um, uh, there used to be a lot of bad blood between those culture groups and, and culture groups from here. Um, but luckily we're all fairly mixed now. So it's like, it's like, did that even happen? But so that is really important. What Sally said, we have to take into account what, even if it seems innocuous, even if it seems practical and that it's something you just put through a, a grammar and a logic machine, it still might be something that's fairly insensitive. And something that's also important to note is the utility of the map. A map is always going to have some kind of bias. There's no way to accurately map any place. There's no way to fully accurately make a globe. Um, it's all about what information you feel is pertinent and relevant. And sometimes when there's no known um, names or known uh, features, because like I said, I don't have that much more than what you already have, because a lot of what we are learning now 
is based on very um, minuscule trace uh, work done by linguists like James Carey. And, uh, and we're kind of comparing that in all of our different communities to what little um, uh, knowledge that we do have. And so it's kind of like a building up thing for us. And so if you are really interested in recognizing the cultural aspect, um, it needs to be put in the framework of who, which, um, in Denina, there's the word hatana. Uh, uh, it's H-T apostrophe A-N-A. And that is a region of a group of people based on a region. And really it's up to those people, wherever they are, to be able to share names and also um, recognize their existence. And so for me, I can go back to uh, my tribe and, and we can talk about things on our side of the peninsula. And like, I'm always, um, I'm always, I always use a different spelling of to get for Homer. Um, and it's really funny because it's something that some linguists even don't use themselves, but it's like, well, that's how we spell it. So who cares? <laughs> I, I don't care. Um, in, respectfully. Uh, but so that's one of the reasons I went in and started this um, art project based around creating a writing system for Denina is because a lot of the conversation is so much about um, labels and and kind of just collecting them and putting them as dots everywhere on a Google map and calling it good when really the information behind names is about what, how they're created, those machines that create those names and the knowledge that goes into that uh, grammatical system and also who gets to name them. And so, for example, if somebody felt like making a name for a, but what was that place on the, uh, uh, that would be if somebody from the which area would it be I think that would still be Soldovia's area if somebody from them decided well I think we should call it this now based on our interpretation of our language whatever that may, may be uh, if they choose to do it denying a sukstum even English if they wanted um, that would kind of be what you're looking for as far as a traditional name. So it's really important to take that into account and realize that what counts as tradition and um, authentic, authentic language is not the same as language from a certain time period. And when we talk about like the arts, for example, what defines um, native art to people and and it sounds something like we can easily define in our heads oh native art is this and it uses these things but then you get to people who might use um materials that are not indigenous like much of the beadwork that you see from the interior and even here in the in the inlet region is using beads and materials from other cultures and and so what we think of as synonymous with culture is actually based on this exchange and evolution that's already been happening it's like we just happen to be here at a time when things seem to stop uh for the sake of reorganizing politically or whatever but so when we talk about authenticity we have to recognize that everything is relative. And so just for us, I think like we need to respect that things may not have a name. And if they need to be a name, it, it should be for a good reason. And so instead of looking at it as all of these uh, boxes that need to be filled or like a crossword puzzle, I think it needs to be, approached from 
an aspect of what is the not what is the purpose but how does this meaningfully fit into the lives of the people of that culture and if it doesn't really have a meaningful addition um maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be named but it doesn't mean it's not a part of someone's heritage or land and that is the big huge issue that people face when we talk about preserving sacred sites like you see about the the bears ears um park state side is the the perspective of the government and a lot of non-indigenous people is well it's not documented it's not this it's not that it can't be considered this because we don't have this backup information it's like oh sorry we don't have this file cabinet from the 1700s where we can show you <laughs> all of the names and, and and who went there and why and to prove its um, validity but so all that stuff is kind of unnecessary from an, an indigenous perspective because at some point it's almost like when you think of something having a traditional or a native name you, you're you're basically insinuating that your names or modern names have come from this place of exception and whether or not that exception is uh positive or negative is it, it doesn't matter so if you kind of scale it back and realize that all languages much like english are capable of incorporating knowledge and thoughts and and features from other languages it, that might be more um have a good approach to take things but but by and large i i do believe that things have to have some purpose and validity and i would be really um excited to see like somebody from um Seldovia do this uh mapping work of the south side of the bay to kind of look at it and and even if it's not necessarily denying uh words look at um just what people value what they honor what they treasure what is important and so the conversation has to start with value and and what that means to people um so i i'll i'll just kind of leave it at that thank you well that's an excellent that's an excellent thought hig did you have a reflection on yeah I, 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 one thing that i'm realizing that i hadn't really thought through and and what i've i've been you know looking at is the distinction between like well this is a name like i mean you know um you know, the, the, this is a name that we're using. This is what we call it. Um, and there can be, you know, different languages, different cultures that have different names for a place. And so that's one thing that could be articulated on, on like, for example, my map. And then another case is once this place was called this, you know, in a particular name. And that's, a, those are very, in, in a, I, I think, sort of thinking through some of the frameworks you're presenting that those are pretty different things you know I, there's a there's a stream up at the head of Tetka Bay that hardly anyone even know exists because it, it joins this other stream before it reaches the ocean and um, and it's it's a very remote place but there is um, uh, you know in James Carey's information he had a name for it in in uh, Dedina um, and uh, and that's really interesting that that tells you know if it, it, it you know um you know that's kind of a case of like that's where i would you know maybe bring up the word documented like you know okay we have evidence that people once really cared about this place that people sort of don't care about now like you know they don't know it exists like not that they wouldn't care about it if they had you know went there and came to get got to know it um as i have a little bit but but that it just it's it's not a place that people are like oh i need a name for this place because you know, I'm going to be going there tomorrow and, you know, the, you know, the, the silver spawn up that branch of the river much more than the other branch or whatever it is. Um, and so that tells us one thing, like that tells us something kind of about history and about roots and about, you know, connection to the past. But, you know, if people in Namwalik are using when they say they don't say we're going to Homer and I won't, I'm, I'm being very hesitant about pronouncing any of the, any of the words, which I should get, I should work on. But anyway, 
you know, I, 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 that they use their, their own language's name for that place, that's a very different thing. And, you know, that's something, and like you said, you know, you don't use the same spelling that some, some linguists use because that's the way you spell it. Like that's the way, you know, and that's, that's a, that's a living name that is used to refer to that place now for the utility that, you know, that, that, that uh, a name has for that place now. So anyway, that's very interesting. I, I don't know something, I, I know a way to articulate it within the context of the map, but it's something that I can see the way I present it on the map might almost uh, mislead people away from that, you know, like that it would be nice to find a way to lead people more towards that rather than away from that, that distinction. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. If um, I can add on to that, um, that's why like, the few maps that I've seen, um, it, it sounds silly, but it, but color coding, <laughs> sometimes that really helps. Um, and almost if there was different iterations where there's layers and you can kind of see this partially obscured um, language layer, um, like this, you know, semi-opaque blob that kind of loosely circles around where these um, common language origin names are, you can get a better idea of what um, traditional navigational knowledge might look like. And you could also, if you wanted to, even go into further in that, um, make them separated by just estimated periods of their origin. Um, and that would be exceptionally difficult, and that's something I'm interested in, but um, that is something to think about, is, is almost also time periods. It's um, because place and time are very uh, synonymous in our existence, and that also has to be taken into consideration. Thank you, Arjun. I, I wanted to invite Sally's comments. If, have you been able to um, follow this, Sally, and is there any thoughts that you might like to add? Um. Yeah, um, I was thinking about how, yes, we, we know we, these are our place names for, like, say, Kachikmak, uh, uh, and, and we also share with Kodiak uh, some words. And uh, I want to also add in that uh, my, my father is from, uh, my father is from Ninochik. His mom was part Dinaina, I think, and, and she was in native from there. Uh, so I'm thinking that that's what uh, she is, but part Russian. And so our name for Ninilchik was Kuigak. Uh, you know, it was talking about creeks. So, but oh, only our okay. name, it's only our name, not for, we don't ask Dinaina to, this is our way. We will have to say that way. We, we don't do that. We, we share with the same Kodiak. We don't, we don't, tell each other you have to say it this way or you know so we share a lot but i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to cause any fights but uh my dad is um uh, and i had a question for hickman if uh it's just uh we had a question about how is the native name there for uh Saldovia is the native name, and we ours for that name. They say it's not a Sukhstu name. It's a they they would say it's a, a Denaina name. I don't know. I don't know if you have any who does your uh, mapping stuff or who's worked on your mapping things. Uh, if you have, if you know about them. So the uh, you know there there are. I, I have both uh, a, a Denaina and Sukhstun name, but they're, I, and this was me again, trying to figure out from what I, I was reading, what it meant. And I'm not sure it's right, but that the Denaina name, it seemed to refer to the, the lagoon and the slough. Um, uh, it looks like Ang, uh, um, and then the Sukhstun maybe referred to the community. And that was the, and they, they seem to have some, Similarities, um, but um, it's a longer name. Angak, Aknuk, and so I, I, and I don't. That's that is, uh, yeah. I'm really not at all, you know, sure that I've got those right. But um, I would be happy to email you uh, just kind of a piece of my map to show you what I have and 
and any thoughts you have on, on whether that, that might be improved in some way would be great. Can I jump in? I actually know a little bit about, sorry. Are you just, Sally was going to say something about that, about Soldovia. Oh, and we, we had my, my brother's uh, godparents came from Soldovia. They were from that area, I think, and so, or they had relatives there. So we are named for Angakitaknok, Soldovia Angakitaknok. So, yeah, we use, uh, we share with um, my grandfather uh, on the, my mother's dad was also with uh, Ninilchik, and so they shared names from, uh, the, you know, places from uh, Kodiak here. We would, you know, know their names, some of their names, the big island, you know. And then um, my grandfather, would he, was, uh, he would tell stories, and, and then he would stop, and he would explain to us and say, and this is how they say it in Kodiak, and, and, and we didn't, you know, we didn't, tried to stop him and say, well, you know, anything just, but he would tell stories and he would have words that the Kodiak, he shared with Kodiak because um, he had his, his uh, family, part of his family came from there too. So, and so we use a lot of names, I think, involving and um, using the names of others and not just try to put, uh, like, this is the name for it, you know, we know what, you know, it's like, we know our names, but we're, I don't want to come out and say, like, this is how it's, you know, how it's said. So that's what I also mean. And uh, on this, I'm, I'm just a little bit like, um, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And I want to, uh, I'll do the name thing as long as it doesn't lead to artifact digging also. So Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing those points and the, the cultural idea of lifting up and sharing and not correcting, <laughs> um, you know, other. I wanted to add, add on if I could, and, and I, I kind of agree with, with Sally. I think it's everybody is really nervous and trepidatious about um, is sharing a lot of this information going to lead to um, either collecting or development or something and and even though that seems kind of uh, far-fetched for some people I think for us it's like a real big concern it's it's if something I mean of course it would be cool to do more research and to learn more and that's wonderful but at a certain point that becomes a focal point for the world and that increased interest that increased travel it it makes the places um, more susceptible to uh, environmental damage. And even though that may not be the intention, those are all side effects. It's like eyeballs and interest is the, is the real danger. It's not the physical presence. It's what the interest is. That's, that's the danger. And, and I really like the idea of almost coming at this from a, a team perspective because but because um sally my my father he's from uh he's he's from a family that is from here but also his uh on his mother's side they're from kodiak and so a lot of the old um kodiak names and, and things were used um, by people that moved back up here and so it, it's funny how like all these these three four different groups have this real tight um connection now and i was going to mention about soldovia the term uh, this is just my hypothesis i don't know if if james or anybody else would agree with it but i think that that where soldovia is now was first and foremost a Sugpiak settlement and it has that name and before there's the old Soldovia, and that has has the Dunaya name Seslatnu. That's that's the river, and 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 I think the place, if you were to call it without the river, I think it would just be Seslat, and that is, and it means in James's work, um, the place where the where fish run over rocks. And so I believe that after the communities changed over time, 
and people more migrated to the the Sukpiak side, I think that they adopted the Sukpiak root word in their place name and came up with this hybrid Amgyadatnu. And that's that's my guess. Um, so I, I don't know if that is true or valid, but that's just a theory that I have. That's very interesting. Can I also add that uh, when we, I mean, we were traveling around a lot. We didn't stay in one camp a lot. Our ancestors didn't. So they moved when it was time to get, you know, certain something was in season and, you know, different spots. So that's how we got, uh, we were kind of a, it was a big melting pot here. It was not a, uh, just certain people lived here. They were, you know, they were mixtures, I think. I don't know. That's my theory. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to thank you all so much for this wonderful conversation. I will be sure to connect you all so this project can continue forward as um, a reflection of living culture. That's so exciting, just the ways that the names um, reflect the past, but also um, reflect and the maps reflect um, this this combination, as you say, this um, commingling of people. And I, in conclusion today, just really want to say that um, the point about vulnerability and um, cultural um, trespass that's ongoing in Alaska, but very traumatizing when we look at the past is extremely well taken. And I think that, um, you know, from the perspective of um, a settler child growing up in Homer, and thinking about the trading post where Benella is based today, you know, a place I frequented a lot as a kid. I also consider that the, you know, trading post was a critical element in the colonization of the place. And so today it's important and why we make conversations, spaces for conversations like this is that Benell wants to provide time and space for indigenous artists from this area and from farther away who may not live here, but, come here or are, or are curious to connect with people from here to, to, to connect with the land as well and to collect lost words and to strengthen communities here and farther away as they compose and share art to shape their stories and create equitable futures. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And um, I look forward to um, our next dialogue. Yeah. Thanks, all of you. Thank you.